So uh, happy Mother's Day. And I realize that today is, can be a complicated day um, for a variety of reasons. And uh, I, I know from uh, talking with many of you what some of those com- complexities are. Um, I th- thank you for the biological mothers, the adoptive mothers, the fostering mothers, the spiritual mothers uh, that are here in this congregation, uh, and, and all you women who sacrificially give of yourselves uh, for those around you. And so we are grateful for you. Um, I'm Pastor Rick, and if we haven't had a chance to meet uh, after the service, I'd love to chat with you after the service. Um, today, we, are, we well, right now, the season that we are in in the church calendar is the season of Eastertide. Uh, we continue in this feast of celebrating the glory of the resurrection and all the beauty that that entails. Uh, right now, our lectionary, that is our three-year preaching schedule that the historic church follows, uh, has had us in John's gospel for quite some time. Uh, we've been in John's gospel throughout Lent and, and now continue to, to do so in Easter. And today we read John 15, in which Jesus tells us, I am the true vine. The gospel of John has seven I am statements that Jesus says. Uh, and these are ways in which Jesus reveals his identity to us. And so let me just pause right there, because if you are here this morning and you're investigating Christianity, this whole Jesus thing, and you want to know more about him, the I am statements in John's gospel are a beautiful place to start. Uh, you can ask Google where the references are for those, or chat GPT, and it will tell you precisely where they are. Uh, we would also love to talk about them here in the church as well, uh, also. But if you want to know who Jesus is, Listen to how he describes himself in his own words, and may you prayerfully move through those passages. And yeah, we would love to talk about what you find there. Uh, I guarantee that your life will never be the same after reading through those. So throughout these I am statements, Jesus reveals himself to us as the life giver, And he invites people to come to him, to come to him, to rest in him, to place their belief in him. And this statement, today's, the I am statement, is a little bit different in that Jesus is directing these words to those who already consider themselves disciples. Uh, There is still an invitational nature to this, but he says that this is for those who already belong to him. And the charge that he gives to these, his friends, is abide. He says, abide in me. I am the true vine. Abide in me. Take root in me. Remain in me. Stay here with me. Abide with me, Jesus says. Now, these days in our modern society, it's not easy to abide in Christ, is it? There's a lot of competing forces, uh, competing voices, false vines that are out there. We doubt sometimes, and confusion often gets the best of us. We sin and we screw up, and shame tells us to cut ourselves off from Jesus and his body. Or sometimes it's just the regular toil of living in a broken world, living amongst a a broken church at times, that often sucks us down into despair and threatens us to hear Jesus' call to abide with him. Abide in me, he says. This entire passage, it it reads like poetry, doesn't it? 
It kind of folds in on itself. You hear it. You hear Jesus repeating himself, echoing himself. It's, it's kind of like you're stepping into this, this beautiful cave and, and turning on a, a, a big torch or something and, and seeing these beautiful crystals around. And just your eyes just keep circling and circling the room. It's, it's such a beautiful, poetic, invitational passage here. So I, I see three themes in this, and I encourage you to take this home, to meditate on this, to pray on this, and you'll, you'll see other things. You might even go home and read this and be like, why didn't Pastor Rick talk about that? That's fine. There's a lot in this passage, but there's three themes from this that I want to draw our attention to today. So Jesus starts off by saying, I am the true vine, the true vine. In Jewish history, Israel is regularly described as a vine. It's a common image throughout the Old Testament and, and also in other ancient um, Jewish histories that we have that aren't recorded in the Bible. You see this image of the vine coming up over and over again. God himself plants, Israel, or plants his people, Israel, there in the promised land. He himself is the gardener who tends to the vine, who harvests his grapes. And if there's a portion of the vineyard that produces sour grapes, well, then he destroys it and he starts over. He is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. An ancient historian, Josephus, writes this in the first century. He says that there in the temple, there was this golden sculpture of a vine that adorned the sanctuary. It had these massive grape clusters hanging from it, and he says that it was a marvel of size and artistry. It was an object of pride for the Jewish people. During the Jewish revolt in 70 AD, uh, when the Jews printed coins, they put the image of a vine on the coin in order to represent uh, Jerusalem to represent their people. And I share all of this because the vine is it's a, it's a symbol of, of pride for the people. It's a symbol of God's provision, his hand upon them, his dutiful care over them. It's, it's a sign of his life flowing through them, that they are indeed his people here on earth that provide fruit and benefit and gladness for the rest of the nations. So it's a really big deal when Jesus says to his people, I am the true vine. Do you see the connection there? He says, it's no longer the nation. He says, it's, it's me. He says, I am the vine, the true vine. Here, Jesus takes this image of Israel and he applies it to himself. And to be clear, this, this isn't, this isn't the, the focus here isn't rep, um, replacement. Instead, it's fulfillment. It's fulfillment. All of those promises of God all of the, the provision that God provides, all of the guidance that he provides, the wisdom that he, that he provides, his desire for fruitful living, all of this has its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, his son. And so the focal point of, of the people of God, no longer is it geographical, no longer is it ethnic. It is in the person, in a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So I don't presume that everyone here would call themselves a Christian, but I am assuming that if you're here today that you're looking for something. And you and I might describe what it is that you're looking for a little bit differently, but I think it would be fair to say that there's people here who are perhaps looking for more peace in their lives. As I said earlier, this is a chaotic world that we live in. It's constantly changing. It's constantly churning. There's storms that are brewing, and it's easy to feel tossed to and fro on the waves of this troublesome world. And so you might feel beat up and weary. You might feel like you need rest for your soul. Maybe that's what you're looking for. 
Or maybe you're looking for more beauty in your life. Maybe you've seen glimmers of beauty in your life and it's captured your heart, it's captured your imagination. You've also seen some dark things in this world and so maybe you're trying to make sense of of all of this. How is it that we live in this world where where things can seem so dark and evil at times but yet there can also be these these glimmers of beauty and maybe those those moments of beauty are kind of like these breadcrumbs in your heart leading you to something more telling you that there's, there's got to be an answer to this. There's got to be a, a source of all of this beauty, a, a place that it originates from, a place where it comes from. Jesus says, I am the true vine. That implies false vines are out there. Jesus knows that there's storms, there's broken ideologies, that there's false idols. He knows that there's false vines out there. And he invites people to himself. He says, I am the one vine, the good vine, the only source for divine life, divine life, union with God himself, the creator of the universe. Jesus is the touch point. He's the vine. He's the channel through which we receive God himself. So if you want to find authentic, genuine rest for your soul, Jesus says, come to me. If you want to experience beauty and, and, and peer into those, those glorious mysteries of God himself, come to Jesus. He says, come to me, come to me. So I think a theme that we can draw from this is an invitation, an invitation to divine life in Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we are dead. But when we abide in him, when we are rooted in him, oh, we experience the glories of heaven the beauty of heaven, the forgiveness of sins, true life. I'm getting ahead of myself, but the first theme is an invitation to divine life. So the second half of verse one, Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser. And I promise I'm gonna move through the, after this section, after the second section, we're gonna move a little quicker. Uh, It's not like we're moving (laughs) seven minutes per half verse, I promise. My father is the vine dresser, and he continues. He says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more fruit. So there's two actions that we see of the father in this. He, he cuts away, and he also prunes. So this first action, this action of cutting away branches, this is, quite honestly, de- confusing. It's, it's a little disturbing even to, to realize and to, to, to consider and to contemplate. And this contains a great mystery of our faith. How is it that, that someone who has been a, a part of the vine, who's been receiving life from Jesus, from the source, this isn't a, a false vine. This is someone who's been receiving from Christ. How is it that, that they then stop receiving life and that the Father takes action and removes that branch? How is it? Some Christian traditions spend a lot of time trying to square those things. And maybe there's a place for that. That's not really my personal interest, to be honest. Because when we look in the scriptures, the the scriptures don't necessarily seek to answer that question. It simply acknowledges that some branches wither and the Father removes them. These things are a mystery to hold together, are they not? It's a mystery. As one scholar says, it's a mystery that neither greater nor less than, or na- neither greater nor less than that involved of the fall of a creature created innocent. 
It's a mystery that we have to enter into. So don't let that mystery distract you from the point of why Jesus brings this up. What he is getting at here is that all judgment is in the hands of God the Father. That ours is a just God and he desires life and abundant fruit in this world. And if he sees something that threatens that, he removes it from the vine. So here Jesus is giving us a warning of the real consequences of rejecting his invitation. This should cause us to desire to abide more fervently in Jesus Christ. Because here he's telling us that to, dis- to disconnect yourself from the source of eternal life leads to eternal death. So may we receive the words of Jesus today. But secondly, the father prunes. That is, he, the, the branches that are already bearing fruit, he brings out his shearing knives. Is that what they're called, shearing knives? Yes? Okay, great. <laughs> Usually I turn to Molly, but I, I, she was here at first service, so I, I feel a little unmoored right now. Um, so uh, he, he pulls out his shearing knives, and he very tenderly cares for the branch. He prunes the branch. He notices where maybe the, the branch has some diseased twigs that are starting to appear that have withered, and he, and he prunes those away because he loves us. And it's easy for us to think of that as a punishment. He's, you know, because there is some pain, obviously, in that pruning process. And I think this is actually a part of the adventure of Christian living. It's, it's an adventure in that we are learning to trust the unknown. We're learning to trust the will of the Father in our life. And at first, sometimes we, we see these, these pruning shears coming at us, and, and we sort of recoil back. And believe me, like that, that might be because of um, bad father figures that we've had in this life. And believe me, I, I know that story. But I also know the story of our divine father, that he is gentle and that he can be trusted. And when he, when he takes things away from us, he does it not as a form of punishment. He does it because he wants us to experience greater life. He wants us to be free from that disease that, that threatens the rest of us. And so, yes, he takes that away. And I think that's an adventure because there's, there's risks involved in this. It's, it's going places that you might not necessarily be very familiar with. But the Father loves you, and he brings us under his care so that we might bear more fruit. And so part of our Christian life is to, to trust him because Jesus trusts him. Jesus trusts the Father, and so we can trust the Father. And so sometimes the Spirit, either through the Word or through the admonishment of a friend sometimes or correction, sometimes things come to our attention and these we hold before our Father and we say, this is, this is overwhelming, this is painful. I need your hand to take this away from me and trust him with it. He is a good Father. And that is the second theme, to trust the vine dresser. He is a good Father who loves his children. So thirdly, what can we glean from this? I wish we had time to go through word by word, verse by verse on this. Because there's, what we see here is Jesus is, he's revealing to us the benefits of, of, of that abiding life. He, he applies these words 
uh, to us. He talks about prayer in these things. He talks about love. He talks about obedience in this. He talks about joy. And, and I want us to look at how those various areas actually intermingle with each other, specifically the relationship between love and obedience that we see in verses 9 and 10. He says there, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. So the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves us. And he calls us to abide in him so that we can abide in that divine fellowship, in that divine love. You see how we get folded up into the relationship of God himself. The Father is the source of all that love, and Jesus calls us up into it. But then in verse 10, we have this call to obedience. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I keep my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so we see this relationship between love and obedience. And, and I don't think that should surprise us, because when there's people in our lives who we love, we, we want to be in harmony with them. We want to share their interests we want to share hobbies with them. We want to share time with them. We want to have a similar mind on things. We want to make common decisions with one another. To abide in Jesus is to share in his obedience, his sonly obedience. And I think we modern Americans, we're not too keen on that word obedience, right? Like probably kind of recoil a little bit when we hear that. When we think of obedience, we think conforming to rules and kind of the drudgery that that can produce. In fact, oftentimes, rules, they induce guilt in us, and we screw up and we don't keep them. But if we do keep them, well, then sometimes we get all puffed up and arrogant about that, right? Well, the Bible approaches these things very differently. Kind of reminds me of an Old Testament story, uh, a story that we reenacted uh, during our great Easter vigil on that Saturday night. It's the story of the Exodus. Who was, is John Davis here? He was at first service, all right. He was, he was a very good Moses this year, wasn't he? So do you remember that story, right, when God rescues his people out of Egypt, out of the, the land of Egypt, and he brings them to the, the Red Sea, he parts the waters, he leads the people through, and they stand there on the shore, but as they look back, they see the Egyptians hot on their tails, they're in pursuit, and they immediately get filled with fear, and they start crying out to God, wondering what in the world is going to happen. They're afraid that those, those Egyptians, they're going to come and they're going to capture them and, and drag them back to the land of slavery, a land of oppression, a land of slavery. And so they cry out to God. And what does God do? He allows the Egyptians to come into the sea or come into the dry land, and then the waters, he releases them. And they crash down upon the Egyptians. And what's the response of the people? Do you remember what happens? Miriam grabs her tambourine, and she's like, I know what to do. And they start singing a beautiful song, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. And then other uh, Israelites, they grab the, the instruments, and Miriam, she starts teaching them this song that they all start singing together, and it's beautiful. They, they, she teaches them the rhythm of it. She teaches them the lyrics of it. They, they figure out how to harmonize with one another with their various instruments. And this song is so powerful that it echoes throughout the pages of the scriptures over and over again. We hear this over and over again. Obedience, brothers and sisters, 
is that song that we sing as God's redeemed people. In light of his mighty acts of salvation, we are filled with joy and with gratitude. And so we sing out from that and we, and we live our lives in harmony with one another, with the various instruments or the gifts that God has given us. And together we sing the song that Christ has given us. That's the heart of obedience that the scriptures have. It's not just conforming to societal rules for the sake of obeying societal rules. No, it's to, to create structures of, of harmony and beauty and glory. That's what obedience is about. That's what Jesus is calling us into. And that's why he concludes this by saying the words that he does in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Do you know Jesus is a joyful person? He's a person full of joy and he wants his joy to be in you and that your joy may be full, overflowing, abundant, he says. So God, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There upon the cross, he defeats the armies of Satan and we brothers and sisters are no longer to be dragged back into the house of slavery. We've witnessed the mighty acts of love through his son, Jesus Christ. And we express our gratitude with shouts of joy and acts of love. So if you have no joy in, in obeying God, I would invite you to consider the Father in the way in which Jesus knows the Father. Again, go back to those I am statements and pay attention for how Jesus sees himself in light of the Father. Do you understand what he has rescued you from? Do you know true freedom and joy that he offers? Do you allow your heart to feel the things that Jesus feels? And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love that your joy may be full. So a third theme that we have from this is an invitation to experience divine joy, the joy of Jesus Christ himself. So every week we celebrate Holy Communion here at Restoration. And this is a moment in which we proclaim the gospel every single Sunday through the great traditions of the church. The priest lifts up the cup and quoting the words of Jesus, he says, drink this all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. And then Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? These words are very similar to what we've been talking about today. Remembrance, participation, abiding. This is what we do every single week here at Restoration. We come forward, we receive the bread from Christ, we receive the wine from Christ, and we abide in him in that moment. His blood courses through our veins, and this is a great mystery as well, in which his presence abides in us and we in him. And so come and be nourished by Christ himself today through his bread and through his wine. Come and be nourished by his life. So you who despair, receive the hope from Christ. You who are sorrowful, receive the joy of Christ. You who are filled with shame, come and receive the honor of Christ, his own righteousness upon you. Abide in him, receive from Jesus Christ this morning. May that be our prayer for us individually and us as a community. May we experience the life of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the joy that he has for us. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, 
You are the obedient son of God, the joyful one. Lord Jesus, may we abide in you because you abide in the Father. Draw us closer to you, Lord, because we want to, we want to participate with you in your divine life, not just for our own sake and our own joy, although yes, that is what you want, but for the sake of those around us, those who are far from you, Lord, those who are um, grafted into false vines, Lord. May we exemplify your divine grace and beauty. And may indeed your people grow. May more be brought into your fold and be introduced to your love. May we be a beautiful vine, Lord, attached to you, our Savior and our Lord. We pray all of this, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Amen.